You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a couple scriptures today. Um, just so you're aware, the first one is Psalm 115.1. That'll be the first one, but... Um, so you may have to flip around as I go through them, but... Uh, let's see. My name is Austin. Uh, I've been a part of Free City Church for about five years. Um, my wife and I moved away this summer, but we just moved back. We are not yet part of a city group uh, since we moved back. But I grabbed one of these uh, city group uh, papers from the info table, which all of you should go get. And there's some really cool names on here. Davis Miller sounds like one I have to check out this week. I don't know. So I'll be going to that this week. Uh, I serve um, on the kids team, which is a lot of fun. And I also serve with setup. There's tons of things we have to set up on Sunday morning. So uh, look into those. Um, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 115.1, Matthew 18.21-22, and Hosea 6.1-3. So the first one, Psalm 115.1, it's on page 478 in your uh, Bibles under the seats. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. The second one is Matthew 18.21-22 on page 773. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And then Hosea 6, 1 through 3 on page 706. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for this uh, Sunday morning, this cool morning that we can come and uh, hear your word and uh, reflect on your, the truth contained in it. I pray that you'd be with Gary as he preaches to us. I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would uh, empower him to speak the words that pierce our hearts, that uh, you would um, soften our hearts to hear what he has to say, that we wouldn't be uh, that we wouldn't uh, go into our uh, offense, but that we would recognize our sin and that we would uh, uh, hear, hear that and uh, change uh, and repent. I also pray for Central and this school. Lord, you've blessed us so much that we can be here. I pray that your peace that you know, surpasseth, uh, surpasseth our understanding just uh, fills this whole school, fills the halls, that it's inexplainable, that... Um, that it's only you who could provide such peace. I pray that you'd um, provide the school with wisdom and guidance, that, um, we would, uh, that we would be a light to them and that we would uh, encourage, uh, that we would show your word and um, show the, your love to this school, um, that your love would fill us up on Sunday mornings and that it would overflow um, into the students and teachers here. Uh, we ask this in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. There was a stand right here. I think it's this one. Somewhere. Oh, the one way over there. Oh, there's my water bottle, too. You know, anybody, anybody who speaks and they bring their own water bottle with them, you may know that you might be in for a long talk. I don't know if you 
see how it goes. Thanks, whoever yelled that out. Appreciate the guidance. All right, I'm going to start off with a little drink of water. Thank you, whoever is controlling the sound. Those of you who were here last week know the sound went out for about five minutes. Casey was speaking, didn't make a bit of difference, did it? <laughs> Okay, well, my name is Gary, and um, I'm an elder candidate at Free City Church. <laughs> I think those are words that have never been spoken from this position before. Um, it's my privilege to, to say that, and I want to say thank you to Casey and Ethan. Um, in this whole process, they've been nothing but gracious and kind. And thank you so much for them. And everybody who's come up to me in the last few weeks and says, we're really praying for you and Doreen in this process. We appreciate that so much. I can't even express what that means when people come up and say, yeah, we've been praying for you guys. It means a lot. So thank you. All right. This is good. So uh, if you've been here the last three weeks, you know I'm an elder candidate. You've seen my wonderful picture that's been up there the last few weeks. Um, if you didn't know it, then welcome to Free City, and glad to have you. Um, as part of the elder process, Casey has asked me to share some of my story today, just to, so you can get to know me a little bit. Um, I've shared some of this with some of you already. Forgive me if it's a repeat too much. Uh, but as I share my testimony, my story, obviously I have to talk about myself. Um, but I think of uh, John 3.30, where John the Baptist had a huge following, and he told his disciples, talking about Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. And I want that. This is why Austin started out. Thank you, Austin. Started out with Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your steadfast, loving kindness and because of your faithfulness. And that's what I want today. I want this to be the Lord's story and what he's done in my life, but mostly about him, because he has been very kind and gracious to me. So, um, if there's a title for this message, it would be Still Under Grace. I'm 69 years old as of August 11th. I'm still under grace. If I live to be 80, 90, it will still be by grace. And in the form specifically of the forgiveness of God, which is expressed to us every time we humble ourselves and come to him. And that's why Austin read that little passage from Matthew 18. We'll talk about it a little bit more, about forgiveness and God's heart of forgiveness. And not only forgiveness, but then God's heart and his desire to take the broken pieces of my life and of your lives and put them back together in a way that um, really, um, we could hardly dream that he would do. And I want to tell my story reflecting those, and that's what I want to. But as I speak and tell my story and God's story in me, uh, I want you to also remember and be thinking about all the ways that God has worked in a similar way in your lives. I understand I'm not the only one in whose life God is at work. Everybody here, God is deeply at work. And be grateful to him for those things. And think about it. As I've thought back, I was amazed at things that I remember that I never really thought of for decades. And uh, that pleases God when we think about what he's done and we give him thanks. And Austin prayed, but I want to pray too. So Lord, I do come to you. We do, Lord, we come before your very throne. Um, you said to approach your throne with boldness that we might receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. So speak as only you can. You know I want to glorify you. I want this to be a great sermon. Whether it's great or not, I don't know, but I do ask you, Holy Spirit, would speak to each heart here and do the encouraging and the teaching and the convicting that I absolutely cannot do in the flesh. So we give this to you. Remind us of your goodness and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to go through my story. I'm going to go through in three threads. Um, so I'll start, and, and I'll start over, and I'll start over again. The first time through, I'm just going to give a quick overview of where have I been the last 59 years? How has God worked vocationally? That serves as a structure for the next piece, which is longer, 
And that's how God has worked spiritually in my life. And I'll fill in some of those gaps. I'll refer back to the first one. And then finally, um, I'll go back and share a little bit about family details. So that's where we're headed. Um, so vocational piece of it. Uh, when I was 10 years old, my mother had found, about, found out about this institution called the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm already feeling emotional about this thing. Um, but I'm going to fight through. I am not going to, I'm not going to stop talking. I'm going to growl it out if I have to. Um, the U.S. Air Force <laughs> And she, she knew I was crazy about airplanes. My dad used to work for Beechcraft in Wichita. And uh, so I had some, <laughs> this is crazy, uh, but I'm going to fight through it. If I have to growl, I'm going to fight through this, right? <laughs> I told Casey, I wonder what it looks like if the speaker was to do this. You know, um, I lead Bible study with ROTC uh, students at, uh, at KU. And there's always, we're at the military science building most of the time. And there's a table up front. And often, I, I spend a lot of the time just sitting on the table talking to the guys. Probably swinging my legs. I don't know what I do. <laughs> um, anyway, this is what it looks like. It feels pretty good. But I'm not going to spend much time here. All right. All right, so um, she told me about the, this Air Force Academy thing, and I was crazy about airplanes, and she said, you can go there, you finish high school, you go to the Air Force Academy, you'll get a degree in college, you'll commission as an officer in the Air Force, maybe get to fly planes. Well, I was on board from day one, and for the next seven years of my life, uh, that was my dream. Uh, from fifth through twelfth grade, um, I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and be an officer in the Air Force and, you know, be cool and all that stuff. Um, and uh, maybe fly planes. That, that fly planes thing got crushed uh, as I took the Academy's kind of intensive physical exam. They found out that there was a little bit of a color vision problem that disqualified me from flying. So I didn't get to fly. But um, anyway, so I applied in my junior year in high school I was accepted and I attended the Air Force Academy in the summer of 1970. Uh, but because of poor study habits, grades came pretty easy to me in high school. Um, we, we, we didn't go to a really complicated large high school. I'm from, I'm from Dunlap, Kansas. Dunlap's about an hour and a half southwest of here and actually from a farm near Dunlap, Kansas. And uh, so um, not a real sophisticated um, education. Uh, but I, I applied and I was accepted, but because of kind of pretty poor study habits, a, a little bit of laziness and a little bit of intimidation and immaturity, all those things kind of rolled together. My grades started out not bad, and then they just suffered a little more, a little more, a little more. So by the time I completed my third semester, I was disenrolled academically from the academy. Uh, the shattering and the breaking and the destruction of my seven-year-old dream, and um, so blunt terms, I flunked out of the academy. Um, when, I, when I dropped out, this was, 19, was January of 1972, um, what was going on in the world in 72? Well, we were involved in the Vietnam War. It was in full swing still. The draft was going, and so young men were being drafted into the military, whether they wanted to or not. And so your draft number was a very important thing about you in those days. So one of my first orders of business when I dropped out of the academy was, well, what's my draft number? Well, they were taking numbers one through into the 200s. You know, there's 365 or six altogether. And my number, I looked it up, it was number 34. <laughs> so, so I was faced with a choice. I could either be drafted, serve in the army or whatever, or um, I actually ended up choosing the Air Force and enlisting in the Air Force. I felt like I knew something about it. I was a little more comfortable, so I joined the Air Force. I served in the Air Force for four years from 72 to 76. My first chunk of time was in the Philippines. The second chunk of time was right up the road off at Air Force Base in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, after getting out, serving my time from 72 to 76, I came to KU as a 24-year-old freshman. That was me. Um, and uh, I graduated in 1980 with a bachelor's in music education 
By then I had met Doreen. We had decided we might want to serve the Lord full time. And so we went to Multnomah School of the Bible in Portland, Oregon for their one year grad program to help prepare us for that sort of thing. Uh, but while we were there, the Lord led back towards the Air Force. And so I applied. You know, um, the academy and ROTC are for high school grads who want to get their college degree and be officers. Officer training school is a school for people who have already completed their degree. You take 90 days and you become an officer after 90 days. Uh, I really prefer officer training school. <laughs> it's a good deal. But I went to officer training school, served the next 29 years from 1982 to 2011 in the Air Force as an officer, retiring in 2011 and then moving here to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, where I work with, uh, as a volunteer uh, with ROTC students leading Bible study uh, to men and women who are involved in ROTC and mentoring and helping guys one-on-one -on -one in weekly meetings. And so that's my vocational, this is my 11th year of doing that with ROTC. That's my vocational testimony. So you know where I've been for the last 59 years, that's what I've been doing. Uh, let's, let's build onto that structure a little bit and go back again and talk about how God worked in my life. Um, as I said, I, I grew up on a farm near Dunlap, Kansas. Every little town in Kansas, I think, has a United Methodist Church. We went from my birth until the end of my sophomore year, I attended the United Methodist Church. And then for a variety of reasons, my parents... Um, after my sophomore year, decided they wanted to join the Catholic Church. And so I was a practicing Catholic for my uh, junior and senior years in high school and a little bit beyond. Um, and I don't throw any church under the bus. Uh, so much good came out of my experience in both of those churches. But unfortunately, I never really heard the gospel in a way that you or I would define the gospel. That I'm a sinner, and I can't do anything about it, and God wants me to have eternal life, so he sent his son, Jesus. So that if I would believe in him and receive him, I would have eternal life. I never heard it that way in a way that elicited a response to receive Christ. But I heard lots of little, little things that God used, little foundation stones that he used, so that when I did hear the gospel, I would respond. And I, as I thought, I came up with a list of at least 10 things that God did uh, I'm not going to share all 10, but I'm going to share a few of those things that, that God did to teach me and to prepare me. Uh, the first one was at the end of Sunday school, everybody who was left, we had church, we had Sunday school, everybody who was there in the sanctuary, we all stood up and we quoted John 3.16 together. In the King James, uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that was a little foundation stone. I mean, the gospel is in there, isn't it? Uh, that was something I never forgot. I had, I, I had nothing else. I had John 3.16 memorized. Another thing, uh, the uh, elementary school kids um, met together for Sunday school in a, in a room, before, and we sang songs before we split off to our individual classes. And uh, so I still remember those songs, and one in particular... I remember singing, um, maybe you know this song, Into My Heart. It's really silly. I had no more idea than the man in the moon what I was singing back then. Into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay, come into my heart, Lord Jesus. I used to sing that to my kids when I was tucking them in at night. We made up another verse, come in tonight and make me right. There's another little piece of the gospel. I never, like I said, I didn't know any idea what I was singing, but I sang it with everybody else. Oh, you know, but God kept it in my mind. He kept it in my thinking. And when I think back, it's a precious memory. All right. What else? Well, um, in the sanctuary of our church, if you looked up at the pastor, there was a picture on the wall. <clears throat> You've seen that picture. It's a picture of a door. And outside of that door is Jesus Christ. And he's knocking on the door. <laughs> right? He's knocking on the door. And um, there's no handle on the outside of that door. In other words, he's not going to open it up and rush in. He's waiting for you to open the door. And of course, that, I didn't know it at the time. But it's Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice. 
and opens a door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. What a great promise. Again, foundation stones that I didn't know what God was doing, but he did. Um, and then another thing. Uh, this is the last one. But, uh, you know, I, I started praying at night, every night. And I didn't know how to pray, but I knew the Lord's Prayer. And so I'd pray the Lord's Prayer every night in elementary school days up into early high school. And, um, um, and when I would get to, of course, in the King James, <laughs> um, and I, I joke a little bit about the King James, what a wonderful translation it is. We just don't talk that way anymore, so, uh, so I don't use King James very much, but I do, and it's a great translation still. Uh, so, um, but yeah, praying when I got to forgive us our trespasses, I would stop because God would bring to mind every night the same little sins that I was ashamed of. I was a, I was a little kid, but you know, this lie or I stole this little penny thing or that little thing. And I would confess those sins night after night after night. Not knowing for sure if God was even listening doubting if I was forgiven, not even knowing if I could be forgiven, over and over and over, uh, praying those same things and asking God to forgive me. Well, God did these things and many other things to lay a foundation so that when I heard the gospel for real, I would respond. And I believe he did the same thing for you, right? I named four things. I thought of 10 or 12. How many hundreds of things has he done and is he doing to do that for us? And I did hear the gospel. At the Air Force Academy, after I'd completed one year of academics, I met a young man during our summer training program named Doug Rambeck, and Doug was involved with an organization called the Navigators, and he had come up through the NAVS, and, um, and he shared the gospel with me. And it's the first time I'd really heard that, and again, some, in a way that asked me to respond in a clear way. And so after a few days of conversing with him, I did. Uh, bowed down and got down on my knees by, beside my bed and I asked Jesus to forgive my sins and to come into my life and he did and I didn't feel anything that night and I would say feelings are dangerous they're not to be trusted be careful with your feelings uh, but I felt different the next morning and some of you know 2 Corinthians 5 17 if anyone is in Christ he's a new creature the old things passed away behold new things have come that comes as close as anything I can describe to how I felt that morning. The sin, the shame, all those little tiny sins from way back and all the sins I'd committed afterwards were forgiven. They were gone. I was clean for the first time. The shame, the guilt, uh, the darkness was gone and I was a new creature and I knew it. Um, unfortunately, um, I've heard it said, a conversion is 5%. Follow-up is 95%. And um, unfortunately, I didn't reach out for help. And unfortunately, nobody really reached out for help to me. I, this encounter with Doug Rambeck, there were 40 squadrons at the Air Force Academy. And when classes started up again, he was in one squadron, I was in another. And we just didn't have contact. And, um, and so, uh, unfortunately, I entered a spiritual desert. A few months after receiving Christ, this was uh, June of 1971, I flunked out of the academy, and then I really felt alone and isolated. And of course, remember the next thing I did was uh, enlist in the Air Force, and I went to the Philippines for the first chunk of my enlisted time, surrounded by, uh, I was a young enlisted guy, uh, I was surrounded by young enlisted guys, and all of the temptations of the world that you can imagine. And if you were following my life, watching me, listening to my words, you would say, that young man is no more a believer in Jesus Christ uh, than Jabba the Hutt is a believer in Jesus Christ, right? Um, and that continued on into my time in Omaha, right up the road, as I said. Um, but I was working in military intelligence. That's what I did as an enlisted guy. Some people would say those two words don't fit together. I would say, largely, you're right. <laughs> um, but that's what I was working in. 
And in Omaha, one night, it was, it was October-ish of 1974, three-plus years after receiving Christ. My life was shambles. Spiritually, it was nothing. I overheard two men talking in the dormitory, two young guys talking about some of the political, military things going on in the Middle East. I won't tell you why. There's not enough time to go into details, but um, the similar thinking was in my mind at the time I received Christ. And so full memory. I'd basically forgotten I was even a believer. Second Peter 1 talks about that. Uh, and I'd forgotten, basically. But full memory of my conversion experience, receiving Jesus, being cleansed, all that came back. And with it came back double conviction of where I had been for the last three-plus years. And so when I went to bed that night, um, I prayed two things. I specifically remember these two giant prayer requests. Oh, God, I remember praying to receive you. I think you're still in there. But just in case, just in case I've lost you, I, please forgive me for destroying my life these last three years. And please come back in if you need to. And forgive me for my sins. And then second, I pray, oh, God, would you lead me to somebody who can help me study the Bible? And... Uh, <clears throat> And I went to sleep. And um, I don't remember how much later it was. It could not have been more than two or three days. And it might have even been the next day. But I was uh, eating in the dining hall, sitting there at my table, and two guys came up. Uh, Stuart Rothberg and Mark Santo Stefano. Didn't know them at all. They worked in the hospital. I worked in chasm underground and behind many steel doors and uh, but they were eating and I noticed when they sat down at my table they bowed their heads to pray and um, still my interest wasn't piqued but as, um, as uh, they began to talk they began to talk to me about Jesus and I heard them and I listened for about a minute and then I said stop I know what you're going to tell me and I've been praying that God would lead me to people who could help me study the Bible. And these were the guys. This was a, they were involved with a little group called the Navigators at Offutt Air Force Base. And uh, for the next year and a half of my enlisted time in the Air Force, I studied the Bible with them. I went to church with them. We camped out together. We did a float trip on the Buffalo River in northern Arkansas during flood stage. Wow, it was fun. And God, in that time, laid deep foundations in my life that are there to this day. I completed my enlisted time, came here to KU as that 24-year-old freshman, um, called the Navigator campus director before I came down, and he gave me some advice. I ended up living in Templin Hall all four years, leading Bible study and knocking on doors and sharing the gospel with men in Templin. Today, I understand Templin is a scholarship hall. It's so hard to get into. Back then, it was a freshman dorm. Easy to get into. <laughs> it was wild. Uh, but I lived there all four years. I wasn't much at cooking and didn't know how to take care of myself. So they had, back then, they had dining facilities in all the dorms. So I just had to go downstairs and eat. It was so easy and convenient, so I did that. But um, at KU leading Bible study, being involved in Bible study, going to conferences, going to summer training programs, all three summers between sophomore, junior, uh, freshman, sophomore, and junior, senior. Um, and there, in my third training program, I was a team leader. And when I was there, I met a female team leader. Doreen happened to be a team leader there. That's where we met. Um, give more detail on that in the next section. And then uh, graduated from KU, and then we went to Multnomah, as I said. He led me back in the Air Force. And just a few words about what my Air Force career looked like. I was an astronautical engineer. How does that square with music education? If I feel like I have time, I'll fill that in, but uh, we may not have time. Um, but what my career looked like um, spiritually um, I had a strong background. The Lord really had taken care of me for five and a half years now, training me, building me up, and preparing me. And so when I went to a new base, we had about 14, 13 or 14 moves in our 29 years. 
I would go to a new base. I would look for a Bible study in my unit or nearby. If there was one, I would join. I would contribute. I would fly the flag of Jesus. I would try not to be in people's face, but I wanted to be a witness. And so when God gave the opportunity, I would share my faith. God was very faithful to, to help me to do that and to give results. If there wasn't a Bible study, I would start one. And I wouldn't start one day one. I would wait a few months, and I would start a Bible study. Sometimes there'd be three of us. Sometimes there'd be 15 of us. I don't know. So that's what my, that's what my career looked like. It wasn't spiritual until, oh, I'm in the Air Force. I've got to do nothing but that. No, God, uh, God, you know, if I, um, if I graduated from the academy and not flunked out, that's what it would have looked like. But, but God said, no, I want to give that back to you the way I want to give it back to you. And I want you to be a witness for me. Okay, so that's my, you know, I, I skipped a section. I prayed that the Lord would help me to include and exclude as he saw fit. And he's excluded maybe. I want to go back just a little bit. And in my conversion to Christ and in my return to him, I'm so impressed and moved by his forgiveness. Casey touched on this last week, and I just want to touch on it again today. This is why Austin read that Matthew 18 passage. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Being the math wizard that I am, I realized 70 times seven equals 490. And I went further and I said, what if, how many minutes are in the day, by the way? There's 1,440 minutes in the day. Um, so, in other words, if I divide 1,440 by 490, I get roughly three minutes. In other words, if I am around somebody 24 hours straight, and they come up every three minutes and ask my forgiveness humbly, he says, forgive them, up to 490. I don't think he says stop at 490. Keep count. When you reach 490, you can stop And, and by the way, you're not around somebody 24 hours of the day, but if it's a co-worker and you happen to see them eight hours a day, it's every minute that he would be coming up, you got to forgive that person. <laughs> okay? How can he do that? I can't do that in the flesh. How can he ask that? Well, it dawns on me that because this is how he is, because this is how he is, if we humble ourselves... And we come to him day after day with the same sins, minute after minute. Is he going to grow tired? God doesn't grow tired. He's always going to be gracious, welcoming, and forgiving. But because of our human relationships and what we've seen in there, we think he's going to grow tired. And we don't want to come because we don't want to rebuke. <laughs> but the heart of God is this. Isaiah 30, 18. <laughs> Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And therefore, he waits to, on high to have compassion on you. This is the heart of God. He longs probably for many things. But Isaiah said in that verse, he longs to be gracious. He's not waiting with a stick. He's waiting with open arms. He longs to be gracious. He waits on high. He's just waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting to have compassion. That's the heart of God. So we can rephrase the question, Lord, Peter says, how often will you forgive me when I come to you and ask forgiveness for the same sins over and over and over, year after year after year? Jesus says every time. And so let's continually apply 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Don't forget that. Don't forget that, because our flesh will forget. And our flesh, because our flesh grows tired and bitter and angry, we think God was. We wouldn't say that out loud, would we? But we act like that. But he's not that way. All right. And I, I, I want to say something else about that. I say this as though I never have a single doubt in the world about that. Hey, you know what? I want to be honest with you. I still have doubts. What about my standing with God? What about my eternal security? What about his forgiveness? Well, I found, I found out one thing about doubts. You probably
probably know this too, but it doesn't hurt to remind ourselves. There is a direct proportion between the vital time spent with the Lord in his word, in his prayer, vital fellowship with his people going the direction that I want to go. There's a direct relationship and a directly proportional to my assurance in my standing with God and my assurance of salvation. 1 John 5.13, no less of an authority than John the Apostle, speaking under the, writing under the inspiration of no less than the Holy Spirit of God says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's one question I love to ask. Uh, I ask two questions. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? And second, is it possible to know where you're going? Most of us, I won't say most of us here, most people will say, I hope I'm going to heaven. And the second question, no, I'm not sure that you can know. Well, John tells us, at least in that verse, also John 10, 27 through 30, I won't quote it. John 5, 24, you can know that you have eternal life. I have great joy leading someone to Christ. I have maybe greater joy sharing that truth and seeing it sink in, seeing eyes open. So we can know, can't we? All right. Let me talk briefly about some family things. I want to go back and talk a little bit about my dear wife, whose picture has been in front of you for the last three weeks. Go back to my KU days, this navigator training program during my junior and senior years at which we were team leaders. It occurred at the campus of Michigan State University at a fraternity there. I pulled in in my truck into the parking lot, got out of my truck, looked across the parking lot. Doreen was there. I'd known a little bit about her. I won't get into the details, but I knew her when I saw her. She saw me. I saw her. I'm just going to say there was an instant attraction. Um, we didn't say anything about it, but there was an instant attraction from both sides. We handled that attraction in two different ways. Um, <laughs> neither one was bad, but just different. Here's how, here's how Gary handled the attraction. <laughs> By now, I, I've been walking with the Lord a few years, and I knew the dangers. And said, so I began to pray, Lord, I want, to, I want this relationship to develop, but I give it to you. You know whether it's right or not. Not my will, but yours be done. And I pursued that relationship in secret that I committed to the Lord. I won't say a word to Doreen until I feel like you are giving me a green light <laughs> through counsel, through whatever, through I can't wait any longer. No, I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, I didn't know what that green light would look like, but, but I thought, oh, Lord, I won't say a thing overtly to Doreen. She would say I wasn't that secret. Because um, <laughs> uh, I tried to do nice things for her. <laughs> because I liked her. Um, so, but I pursued that for six and a half weeks. It was a seven-week training program for the team leaders. And for six and a half weeks, I pursued it that way. But my prayer did progress from I want this relationship to continue to Lord, I pray that you would give Doreen to me as a wife. <laughs> so um, I began to ask outright what I really wanted. And um, that's how Gary handled it. Um, Doreen handled it. She went immediately up to her room and she said, Lord, take this away. <laughs> um, and uh, this is a distraction. We were there to be team leaders, to help team members from campuses all over the Midwest. And so we were there not to have a romantic relationship. We were there to help and serve the Lord and help these guys. And so that was her approach. And so she tried to ignore me for about five of those seven weeks. Five, more than that probably, maybe, maybe six and a half. And uh, really the rest of the story about how God actually opened the door and led us together, it's, it's a great story, but we don't have time to give you those details. Um, the bottom line is by the time the program was over, we were pretty sure that we were going to get married someday. Um, it ended up being a two-year engagement. And when I say that, this is descriptive, okay? It's not prescriptive. 
you don't have to do that. But I had to finish my senior year at KU, and she had a post-grad uh, program in Park Ridge, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago that she had to do. So that was one year. And then we went to Multnomah for the second year. And because her parents were missionaries and the timing of them coming back, it was just better for us to get Multnomah out of the way. Plus, it was, uh, uh, you know, we were separated that first year. The second year, Multnomah had very strict standards about guy-gal relationships. And so that was a good thing for us. Uh, long engagement is a test in that way. So, uh, so we, we did, uh, at the end of two years, end up getting married. And, uh, and then we were at Multnomah and then led us back into the Air Force. And uh, maybe I'll tell briefly then how did I get from bachelor's of music ed to astronautical engineering. Um, as the Lord, I felt like was opening the door to maybe go back into the Air Force and closing the door to full-time missions to us. Um, he was actually leading pretty clearly. And as I look back, he was leading extremely clearly. And, uh, but I felt there were four doors, and I'm not going to go into every door, but one door that I thought was, well, I have a bachelor's in music education. The Air Force needs technical, engineer-type people. And, uh, and it just so happened at that time in the Air Force's history, they needed technical, engineering-type people so badly that they had a program that lasted about five years. And I happened to be in that window. And that program was, if you have a degree in anything, and if you have or get the basic calculus, calculus sequence, calc one, two, three, and differential equations, and if you get the basic physics, then we will send you as your first assignment to school to get a bachelor's in one of these three programs. And you got to choose. I chose astronautical engineering. That's how I became an astronautical engineer in the Air Force. And at this time, uh, let me just say, this is why Austin, read Hosea 6, 1 through 3. God likes to take these broken, shattered dreams, these broken, shattered things in our lives, and put them back together His way so that we're able to serve Him. And He still gives us back, sometimes, doesn't always, gives us back that dream. And God now began to powerfully redeem my failures of the past. He, uh, Hosea 6, 1 through 3, I'm not sure if it's coming up, but let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. I've been torn. I have been wounded. My dream had been shattered. Uh, but he will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we might live before him. So he began to powerfully redeem those failures. How did he do it? His spirit was with me and leading. I was following. How else did he do it? He gave me a loving wife who loved me, who believed in me, who depended on me, and what a powerful motivation that was. What did he do? He took me from flunking out of the academy. I debated on whether to say these things, but I'm going to say it, not, not to reflect credit on me, but to reflect credit on the Lord. He took me from flunking out of the academy to graduate. To, oh, it's kind of humbling, but to graduate in number one in my officer training school class, to being a distinguished graduate in my astronautical engineering degree program, my first assignment as a second lieutenant was working on the space shuttle program, just a prestigious, amazing job for three years. I went back, got a master's in astronautical engineering, and the first assignment with my certificate, ink still wet, was to go and for a period of four and a half years teach astronautical engineering to students at the Air Force Academy. <laughs> so um, God gave back the Air Force Academy in a way that I could never have dreamed. Um, he gave back a career in the Air Force in a way I could never have dreamed. Uh, promotions and honors and just God is so good. Let me note that in between flunking out of the academy in January and leaving in January of 1972, I didn't go back to teach until January of 1989. That was a period of 17 years. 
My timing is not his. My plan is not his. And I would just say how God powerfully redeems. He is doing and has done the same for you. And he dreams to do that. There are still brokennesses in my life. I'm not going to go into, but there are still broken things that I'm longing for God to redeem and pick up and heal. And I'm sure it's the same for you. And he has done and will do. Okay. Well, let me just uh, finish up with a little more on family. During this time, God gave Doreen and I the three greatest blessings of our marriage. Kristen, born in 1982, David, or Amy Beth, born in 1985, and David, born in 1988. And uh, Kristen graduated from KU in 2005, married Mark Miller. They were involved in the Navigators here at KU. Um, he works uh, in a uh, medical facility as a counselor and, and a coordinator. They have a son, Owan. Kristen works as a director of operations at a Louisville publishing house in Louisville, Kentucky. Amy Beth graduated from University of Nebraska in elementary education. She teaches, she's one of the planet's, planet Earth's COVID era heroes, right? Anybody who teaches, anybody who, anybody who does anything during COVID is, has heroic proportions, but teachers, you know the struggles. You know what you have had to go through. Uh, policy changes, teach online, teach in person, go back and forth. Um, she teaches at an international school in Leipzig, Germany, married to Tobias Muller. They have a son, Everest, seven years old. David uh, lives in, graduated from Columbia Bible College in Canada. Um, he's, a, he's single. He's an artist at heart. He writes, records, performs his music. He supports himself by various things, from delivering Jimmy John's sandwiches to delivering Amazon packages. He now works at a local restaurant there in New Haven, Connecticut. His girlfriend, Libby, is in a PhD program at a little-known, inconsequential university in New Haven, Connecticut, known as Yale University. <laughs> <laughs> so my first words to David when he told me, you tell, you tell Libby this. PhD at Yale? Dang! <laughs> Just tell her I said that. <laughs> um, so God has blessed us, given us great kids. We love them, great relationships with them. We love our sons-in-law and our girlfriend-in-law. I don't know what that's called. <laughs> All right. And then finally, I just want to share some things. Some of you, most of you already know some of this, but, but um, in 1993, Doreen... Um, had some jaw surgery done. She got sick in the recovery period. And though she recovered from the surgery, she never recovered from this sickness. And she was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome in later that year, 93. And um, she's never really gotten, there's ups and downs with it, but she's never uh, overcome it and has it today. Um, COVID, so here's Norm. Chronic fatigue syndrome takes you down here and you waver around some. Sometimes you have a good day. Uh, COVID, for whatever reason, took it down even further. And um, so for the last year and a half, you know, health hasn't been a highlight for her. Um, as of a couple and a half weeks ago, she is fully vaccinated and that seems to help. But, you know, it's crazy. Um, even a two-week period of good health, we've been through it so many times. I don't, I don't even want to say, oh, she's, she's a lot better now. That's not, that has no meaning. You never know what her health is going to do. So um, I just want to say, as the elder candidate, um, you may see me, you see me around, you have seen me, but you haven't seen much of Doreen. And it would be easy to think, and, you know, she is unengaged. She is not um, involved. Maybe she doesn't care. And I would just tell you, the opposite of that is true. Um, I'll bring certain things as an elder. She brings a ton to me in her support to me. And I'll be a much better elder because of her. And, and hopefully, hopefully, um, her health will be to such a point that she will be able to come back regularly. Right now, she, because of a compromised immune system, she's just ultra, ultra careful with the masking, with the social distancing. And um, so she's just being super careful. But um, hopefully we will see her again. Again, I make no promises. 
but many of you know her, and you know what I'm talking about. She is dearly loved. All right. Well, it's time to bring this to a close. Um, the warning about the water bottle, I think, proved true. Um, so what do I, what do I, what are my focuses right now? I, well, I think growth and consistency in God's word, growth and consistency in a prayer life. That's, these are my emphases, vital fellowship and being a living testimony for Christ. And then a lifetime focus of making disciples. That's, that's who I am. And it's because God has forgiven me over and over and over as I've humbled myself before him, as he does for all of us. He heals our brokenness. He works in and through us for his glory and for the building up of his church. And that's what I expect to see. And all this is, of course, only possible through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son on the cross, his body broken, and his blood shed for us. And as the servers uh, come forward to uh, serve out communion, let me, uh, let's bow and pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, thank you for uh, being, being able to fight through the emotions of you know, sharing. It's always going to be emotional, sharing your testimony and talking about what you've done. I just thank you uh, that this is about you. It's not about me. Your graciousness, your power, your kindness, your redemption, and you picking up broken pieces of our life and making them more beautiful and more profitable and more good than we could have ever dreamed and so each one of us in here Lord we want to bow on our knees before you and say oh God take my life I've messed up I continue to mess up thank you that your love covers a multitude of sins and would you take the brokenness not only today we're not only broken for today but we're going to be broken in different degrees for the rest of our lives May we continue to humble ourselves and come to you because you give grace to the humble and we thank you. Keep our focus on you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.